DJ Poppy, semi in the MC, Drake, tech on the beat, let's go, yeah. Northwest and let's go, check it out, child. Hey, hey, I said, they think Ray Lippin' man, aka NGL. His show is the truth, like NGL. That means he's not gonna lie, and he's clever when he speaks. Plus, he runs unplugged as the editor in chief. Special guests on this show have gotten exposure. Discuss the sports, music, and popular culture. Streetwear, and don't forget the entrepreneurs, cause when it comes to interviewers, man, it's due to the future. Always keeping it current with the old and with the new. Make sure you tune into the GL Review. Welcome back to the GL Review. I'm Nathan Graber Lepperman, the creator of Unplugged, and today I'm bringing you an awesome guest in Thaja Shaker a friend of mine and creator of EndingCovid.org. But before we get into that, if you've seen me in the last two years, you've probably seen me wearing my blue hat that features a rectangle and the letters UP inside. It's a pretty simple hat. Cheap, too. I bought it wholesale for about $5 and proceeded to empty the kitchen sink and figuring out how the hell to screen print the up logo on. I was about to give up before an idea came to me out of nowhere. I cut out an up sticker with my vinyl cutter, took a pot from the kitchen, pressed the hat against the rounded edge of the pot, and hand-painted the logo using the negative space of the sticker. This hat means a lot to me. It shouldn't, but it does. It's been through a lot right alongside me. I can distinctly remember three separate times when I was walking in a crosswalk and the hat blew off into the middle of the street, only for me to go sprinting after it. One time it actually happened on Michigan Avenue, right in the heart of the loop, too. But once I started to develop the idea of Unplugged past just being my personal outlet for commentary on sports and pop culture, a question started bouncing around my clothed head. I know what this hat means to me, and yet, what should it mean to others? I thought about this an unhealthy amount, especially when friends have remarked on the amount of compliments they get when rocking one of our hoodies or tees. Okay, so I know I can make a hoodie that people like on design alone, but even if I spend a good chunk of high school learning Adobe, at my core I'm not really a designer. So what association should people be making when they see the Up logo? Given past experiences, there are three buckets I focused on. Bucket number one, the design itself. That's a dope hoodie that person's wearing right there. I would buy it solely because the design looks nice, the hoodie is comfortable, and that's really all I care about when I make purchases. Bucket number two, me. That person's wearing an unplugged hoodie. Isn't that that company that Nate runs? I would buy that solely because Nate's a solid guy, and I want to support him with whatever it is he does. And bucket number three, an abstract concept. That's an unplugged hoodie they got on. I love what they stand for, about not fitting into a box or adhering to the mainstream, speaking your mind, creating consuming long-form content, and more. By rocking an unplugged hoodie, I'm now announcing to the world that I'm part of this community passionate about authentic dialogue. While I think the first two bullet points are important, I like making cool designs, and I'm trying to lean in my personal brand more, I've always believed that this thing can only grow with the third bullet point. And yet... Even if I have a copious amount of scribbles in my notebook as to what Unplugged means, I spent the entire month of April trying to figure out how to key in on the messaging. What's the why? Nevertheless, if you know me, you know I hate sitting on my hands for too long. One revelation that came to me was by way of Adam Grant's book Originals. In it, he tells the story of Ubeam's founder, Meredith Perry, who sought to create the first wireless charging device. 
problem was she had a difficult time recruiting engineers because no one wanted to commit to a vision that seemed impossible. So Perry pivoted. Instead of focusing on why people should join the project, she focused on how they could. She asked this person to build this part and that person to build that part until pretty soon she had all the parts necessary for her revolutionary product. So basically what I'm saying is this. If there's anything you take away from this, it's that unplugged is a creation on par with the likes of wireless charging. In all seriousness, I think this observation was key to me. Sell a how, not a why. I can write articles about coffee houses and craft pitches preaching change through dialogue all I want. And a lot of the time, those things do resonate with people. That's where the relaunch came in. Yeah, it didn't exactly blow up, and our products weren't exactly flying off the shelves. More people actually visited the website on Thursday and Friday anyway. At the same time, though, I'm focused on the concept of doing things that don't scale. Admittedly a topic for another day. Nobody remembers when Apple officially launched in a garage. When you're not under the microscope that comes with scale, you can build and iterate and relaunch all you want. For me, the best thing was figuring out the how that had eluded me for so long. Look, we're not a pure media company, and we're certainly no longer focused on building the coffeehouse platform. I generally stray away from the term lifestyle brand because I believe it's incredibly generic, but once it all came together, it made too much sense. In a world that's trended towards brevity and immediacy, we believe in the power of long form. It holds up with our values, depth, context, vulnerability, and creativity. Therefore, everything we do, everything we create, will aim to embody those values. When you log onto our website, we're not just creating a gift shop. Whether it's a t-shirt, puzzle, or even a card game, every design has a story. I know a big thing that drives me is creating stuff that can help other people. So you'll start to see that a lot of the products we release are mission-driven. Plus, this opens ourselves up to collaborations such as the one we're putting on with Ending COVID. We're still going to be publishing long-form stories on Unplugged Mag, as well as releasing my podcast, because that's what we do, and this is our brand. We're storytellers. We aim to spark authentic conversations about topics we believe people aren't talking about enough, but we're also interested in the things people are talking about. I firmly believe that there's plenty to be gained from approaching entertainment in a long-form fashion. Finally, though, the value proposition is simple. It's all about the people. By joining our community, you're joining a group of people who aim to live a long-form lifestyle with an emphasis on consuming good stories, of going past headlines and diving into those aspects of culture and life that really make us tick. A group of people who's here to engage in real dialogues and give things the space and time they deserve in order to understand them in full. To rebuke the notion that marketing teams lead us to believe, that humans no longer have the capacity to pay attention to anything for more than six seconds. That's my how. A thriving, active community, stories and conversations that dig deep, and branded designs that both raise awareness for good causes and strengthens your connection to this awesome community. Not everything this company does has to change the world, but if we can do good while also sustaining ourselves as a business, then why not try? I believe that we can really build this thing together. Right now, the why isn't that important, but the how is. If you want to really go past this podcast and really dive into what we're all about, we're giving you exclusive access to our Discord channel, where our team and our fans are coming together to talk about what Unplugged is up to, discuss the topics and stories we're passionate about, and collaborate on how we can grow this brand together. Plus, check out our collaboration with Ending COVID. 
Between this podcast, the blog post, and the designs, I had a lot of fun creating this thing with a good dude in Thagis. His story is an interesting one. This dude simultaneously dances, writes, plays tennis, and codes, all while graduating Northwestern in three years with a degree in neuroscience. His venture-ending COVID aims to raise money for and distribute PPE for hospitals and essential workers, as well as donate food and funds to vulnerable communities such as homeless and veteran shelters in the St. Louis area. What we really focused on with this collab was how to merge the two organizations into one seamless design while making them practical and, well, dope. You'll notice the lightning bolts motif combined with our powder blue, as well as the St. Louis skyline faded in the background of our remixed logo. You can buy all the products in the collaboration, including face masks, tees, and more, through our online store with all proceeds going to Ending COVID. You can find this all at beunplugged.com slash endingcovid, that's B-E-U-N-P-L-U-G-G-D dot com slash endingcovid, E-N-D-I-N-G-C-O-V-I-D. Oh yeah, one last thing before we wrap up here. We started a referral program with our newsletter. Refer 10 people, get a free t-shirt of your choosing. Point people to beunplugged.com slash letters, where they'll be able to sign up and write who sent them there. We have a ton of great products up in the store right now, and a lot more coming in the near future. So get those referral points to get those hot off the press, fresh new designs delivered right to you. Other than that, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at ByNateGL, that's B-Y-N-A-T-E-G-L, as well as Unplugged, that's U-N-P-L-U-G-G underscore D. Log on to the website at beunplugged.com, and yeah, let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Thagis. Thagis, how's it going in St. Louis today? It's going pretty well. It's a beautiful day outside, and uh, I'm happy to be spending it with you. Yeah, so the main reason uh, we decided to record this is you reached out to me initially, um, just kind of interested in, obviously, the Unplugged and kind of our mission. Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit more down the road, but also because you just started this venture, Ending COVID, and the the goal of it, you know, we can talk about mission later and whatnot, but... uh, the mission of it's pretty blunt, like let's un COVID, right? Um, right? But we'll we'll dive into that more a little bit down the road. But uh, yeah, the the reason we decide to really go forward with this is just from you know telling your story, why you're doing this, how people can help, as well as a really cool collaboration we're working on and whatnot. Um, but so kind of building up to that point where we are now, I just want to like ask you some questions and just kind of explore your story and why you did this and everything. And just starting out, uh, before we really dive into, you know, your your path to Northwestern and ending COVID, I was, I was going to ask, you know, this is something I've been thinking about a lot and I haven't really had the opportunity to talk with people. You know, our parents always talk, like people our parents' generation, grandparents' generation talk about the day 9-11 happened, right? And like remembering like that, like it was, you know, just such a visceral moment embedded in your history. And I've just been thinking about this a lot because like, I remember exactly where I was when I remembered uh, school was canceled and it came out that Tom Hanks had contracted contracted coronavirus. Like it all just kind of hit at once on that one day. So I was just curious, do you remember where you were? Do you also think, is that going to be the kind of thing we remember for a long time? Yeah, absolutely. I think I was actually at a Resilient NU event uh, at the time when everything was just kind of going down and we were just getting all these emails. I think it was like Wednesday of reading week and I remember like we were just talking like things were kind of going haywire at that moment like different groups and different organizations were like canceling different events and this was kind of like actually the last event 
Um, that was like Northwestern sponsored uh, to an extent that I attended. And for most other people, I'm sure it's the same way. I had some other events like that were about to come up. Um, we had our actually our Northwestern, uh, our last Bhangra competition of the season. It was canceled just, you know, uh, just that weekend before. And at this dinner, you know, I was like thinking, okay, things are starting to get canceled now. I don't really know what's going on. And then after that, Tufan, which is another dance competition held by Northwestern, actually. And a lot of us were involved with that, a ton of students on this campus, and that was canceled as well. So like, those are two major hits. And with the cancellation of uh, Northwestern Dance Marathon, Marathon. You know, and <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was like such a big thing. So like, you know, just kind of reflecting on it, I think everything kind of came together at that moment, you know, my last Northwestern event for effectively the, the school year, just realizing, you know, this is probably the last time I was going to see a lot of people from Northwestern's campus um, before I headed home which I was probably inevitably going to have to do at the end of the quarter. So yeah, that's kind of like where I was. It's pretty vivid memory because I was with so many other people and like, it wasn't just like a, you know, an individual moment. It was really great that it was a collective moment because I don't know what I would have done if it was just myself, you know, that would have definitely been a lot harder to handle and a lot harder to kind of process just alone. I I guess uh, I'm going to say before we get into again, but before we get into ending COVID and your path post-college, I did want to start with your path to Northwestern. So you're from St. Louis, but you're not really from St. Louis, right? Is that like, who's actually from St. Louis and who's not? Yeah, St. Louis, kind of like Chicago, is a segregated city to an extent. Definitely, you know, Chicago has more of the segregations that are like amplified, but St. Louis still, there's kind of like... I divide between what the city is and what the city is not. Uh, kind of like how people, you know, get a little bit salty if you say you're from Chicago and you're from Evanston or, you know, one of the suburbs, something like that. Yeah. That kind of like agenda isn't the same here, but there's still like a very clear distinction of like who's from St. Louis and who's not. So I live in West County where so many other people from St. Louis do hail from. It's more suburbia, uh, kind of like utopian area of the city. And St. Louis itself as a city has a ton of structural inequity and ton of issues, um, a lot of it stemming back from, from years, from decades and from centuries ago. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm from St. Louis, but in a regard, I'm not from St. Louis, but I will say I'm only 20 minutes from downtown. So <laughs> that's my claim to St. Louis. You started your nonprofit in high school, right? And uh, it's mm-hmm. something that a lot of the work has clearly uh, translated into you know, college and your post-college presumably experiences uh, as something that's important to you. Do you think growing up in St. Louis and kind of seeing like a lot of the inequities you described was a motivation for you to kind of pursue these ventures? Absolutely. And especially given the profession that I want to enter, which is a healthcare industry, wanting to be a medical professional, especially in St. Louis with the city like that, that has so many different structural inequalities and social inequalities, it really motivated me to find a way to kind of bridge that gap and bridge that divide. And, you know, my nonprofit work is definitely something I take a lot of pride in, but the amount of like work there is to be done at the end of the day, you know, it's just like uh, a grain in the sand, you know, it's, it's just a small way there. Um, but definitely being part of St. Louis and being part of like wanting to be in the healthcare industry is what motivated me to try to address these um, inequalities and go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And before we get into, you know, like Northwestern, I got to I got to say, I went to the city museum and it kind of slaps. How would you oh, describe absolutely. it? How would you describe the city museum to the uninitiated? It is honestly like, if you're already like grown up, if you're a college student now, like, good luck because that place 
only fits like really small individuals in like the most fun part. So essentially City Museum <laughs> is right. It, it's like, <laughs> like us too, like being like over 16, 16 and over, you know, like that it's it's a tough ride to get back in there. But that is like a child's playground, like an actually a child's playground. It's so creative, it's so architecturally like interesting. Like I've never seen another museum or building or anything like it. Uh, like things that you think that you cannot enter, like different tunnels, different pathways, like are actually like meant for you to be entered, like are meant for like kids to enter and like go around and do a bunch of cool stuff. Like I remember one of my most vivid memories as a kid, like when we went on a field trip, I think it was like third or fourth grade to City Museum, there was an aquarium and there were all these um, fish in there, like that would kind of like nibble on your fingers. Like I think they eat like the dead skin or something like that. Like, and like everyone like would just like have their hands in there because it was just like so funny to like watch like all these like fish would just like come up, swim up to your hands and just start nibbling on your fingers. But um, I don't know if you're actually aware of this. This is kind of like a little tangent, but um, City <laughs> Museum, um, there's also this place, I think it's called like Cement Land or Concrete Land in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. And the same founder of City Museum, like the, the architect behind it, tried to co- construct this like, cement land or whatever it was um and actually they found his body there because next to a crane or like under a topple crane or something and they did an autopsy report and they found out that that was staged so someone actually murdered the like creator of city st louis and like that land construct and like try to cover it up for whatever reason god doesn't i like i have no clue um but like yeah it still exists as like an unfinished project uh yeah these charter and it's it's just like there, it's it's, it's wild. <laughs> I guess I'm never going back now. No, <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely a place to check out. Anyway, yeah. So uh, before before we started recording too, we we're talking a little bit about you know what you're currently doing, and you kind of offhand mentioned that you first heard about Northwestern um, because of your English an English teacher in high school. So I was curious, yeah, like you know how would you describe yourself in high school, and when did you decide you wanted to go to Northwestern, and why? I think high school me, for the most part, at least like end of high school me, is pretty similar to college me. Um, definitely in the beginning of high school, I was a lot more quieter, a lot more me. Um, and I think like as high school went on and then, you know, into college too, I see it kind of like as a continuous progression and just like becoming more open, um, being able to communicate better, both like with speech and then also um, in terms of just my writing as well. I think that's definitely progressed and flourished. Um, and yeah, I'd say like for the most part, um, there's not too many like radical changes except for, you know, definitely dancing and like that whole aspect of me. I was a pretty like hardcore um, sports person in high school, at least in terms of tennis as hardcore as, you know, people consider tennis athletes to be. But uh, <laughs> tennis is like huge deal in high school, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, um, you know, we went to state my senior year and that was like the like kind of capstone like sports achievement for me. You know, coming out of college, uh, I really wanted to do tennis again, but then I was like, I, I don't feel like there's that same attitude around, like, varsity high school tennis that there is in, like, club tennis. Uh, there's just not that same competitive edge. You don't really necessarily compete as much. You don't have, like, weekly matches. And then I found Bhangra, which, um, and Bhangra, you know, has kind of, like, been, uh, you know, a lifeboat for me in that sense, like, getting me, uh, getting me out of my comfort zone and also allowing me to keep that competitive edge and get a compete in something that I really enjoy, so that's definitely been really cool. And then kind of going back to high school and how I figured out essentially I wanted to go to Northwestern. Like I said, I really loved my English classes um, in high school. They were honestly some of the best classes I've taken, especially like with someone like me, who's technically should be a lot more STEM minded, um, given like wanting to be a medical professional and mm-hmm. you know, my neuroscience major, I really do 
enjoy these non-STEM classes as a great alternative to um, kind of engaging a different side of my brain or a different part of me. Um, yeah, and my English teacher, I think she was my 10th grade teacher, and she was, oh no, she was my junior year teacher, actually. And um, some of the literature we read in that class was probably the driest, like, English lit I've ever read. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember reading Pride and Prejudice, uh, Scarlet Letter, a lot of, like, literature that I wasn't necessarily interested in, but the way that she was able to describe it and talk about it and the moral implications that a lot of these stories had uh, were so fascinating to me, especially in, like, a world that's really kind of surrounded by uh, cancel culture now, like with black and white uh, kind of characterizations of like a world that I typically think is more shades of gray. I I felt like this is a really cool, interesting approach to like, you know, play devil's advocate or like be have a pro or con argument for something that ultimately was used to talk about the real world. So using English lit as kind of a device to talk about real life scenarios and situations that surround us through a means of fictional, non-fictional, uh, characterizations, whatever it may be. That's how English really became important to me. And kind of after taking our class and, you know, just doing my research on colleges, we did a couple of visits around uh, the country, uh, especially uh, since my cousins live kind of around the country in like great places for colleges. Um, I have cousins that live uh, near the Bay Area, cousins that live in Philadelphia, cousins that live in Chicago. Yeah, so it was just like anytime I was visiting my cousins, I was also making a college visit out of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, visited Northwestern my junior year, made into my junior year sometime around winter. And it was probably like one of the worst days possible, honestly. Uh, it was so cold out. I had to wear like two jackets, 20 degrees. It, it snowed the night before. And I don't know. I was just really drawn to the place, kind of the serenity and the calmness that it provided, even in probably the most like in some of the like most brutal weather that I've witnessed in um recent years too um but there was just kind of like a very calm demeanor that northwestern offered that i really enjoyed and uh just made me really want to go here and coupled that with the great academics and the wide range of media endeavors that northwestern has as well like you know with journalism and theater and school com and all these other ways to stay engaged with kind of like the other side of me that wasn't stem um i found this to be fantastic school to go to and you know, definitely a top ranked one as well as we've seen in these past few years. Mm. Yeah, we're all about the clout. No, for <laughs> sure. And I mean, you started alluding to Bungra and whatnot. Uh, what else, when you look back at your time at Northwestern, you know, you're still planning on graduating in three years, right? So end of this year, you're going to mm-hmm. be uh, walking that virtual stage, I guess, getting your degree, yeah, right. um, RIP graduation. But when you look at your time at Northwestern, what would you say has mainly shaped your experiences? Right, yeah, and like like I've been alluding to, as you said, um, definitely Bhangra and other dance um, has been a huge endeavor for me and kind of getting me out of my shell in terms of what I thought, kind of like in the ways that I thought the world worked, you know, I didn't really see the competitive aspect or like have an appreciation for art forms that weren't necessarily, um, that weren't necessarily like writing or like movies or film, you know, it was, it was very trapped to a two-dimensional construct of what I thought art was. I didn't really find myself being able to access forms like dance. Um, and that has been so cool. That has opened up new doors for me. Made me want to do improv. I actually took a little improv workshop <laughs> in Northwestern too. And that was fascinating. So just like really opening to me in like the ways that you can express yourself through other art forms that aren't necessarily just two-dimensional, um, which has been fascinating. So I think that has been like the biggest indicator of what Northwestern has given me. Coupled with honestly a newfound interest in social justice and social change. Um, I'm a part of the Chicago undergraduate program, 
which is a fantastic pre-orientation program that I did myself coming into freshman year. Mm-hmm. And I've been a program counselor for these past, what, two years? Yeah, the past two years now. And it's renewed my love for, yeah, social justice every time, just getting time away from campus or time before, you know, you get into school to see all the ways that people around Chicago are making change um, to address some structural and social inequities. And that kind of reminds me again of like how I want to use my position as a healthcare professional and as a doctor someday to essentially address those changes from a higher level. And we've talked about that actually in the past about getting away from campus to a degree, right? And like figuring yourself out while we both have loved our time at Northwestern, there's something to be said for figuring out who you are, what you believe in, what you're passionate about by getting away from campus, sometimes with other Northwestern students, sometimes not. And kind of building off of that, we met on a trip to San Francisco. We explored the venture and startup space, went to companies like Tesla and Slack. You have some experience in the startup world. I would let, I'll let you categorize slash characterize how would you describe that, how you would describe that experience. But um, I was also just curious, why did you decide to go on that trip? And like, what's your general perspective on the startup space overall? That garage trip that we took to San Francisco, which was absolutely fantastic. It, it was a great breakaway from campus, especially when the weather is getting worse around here, you know, in the Evanston area. It was just really nice to be in some warm weather for a while. And I think some motivators for me, at least, for why I wanted to go on that trip was, like I said, I've bounced around in the startup area, especially in Northwestern, too. Did a couple stints with things in the garage um, that have been fantastic and honestly have just, like, informed my decision making and reinforced, like, what I wanted to do. But also, I've definitely seen the necessity of entrepreneurship and innovation. And while I don't necessarily see myself being a part of this kind of industry, like, full-time, I I think it's been a valuable experience to just, like, gain skills from there, whether it's hard skills or soft skills. And the trip, I think, really motivated me towards finding ways to bring healthcare to people and how different companies go about building themselves up to a way that's accessible to their consumers. I think one of the biggest, like, takeaways from the trip was not from some of those smaller companies even, but Slack and the kind of culture and uh, kind of mentality that the whole uh, team promoted and talked about when they were there, um, you know, while it can be idealistic sometimes, I, I think that there were some fascinating components of like what really makes a team work and kind of like the divisions of labor um, and just hearing about their experiences, which I thought was really valuable. As someone who's been like pretty set on the healthcare industry and becoming a medical professional, it, it's really cool for me to just like be able to learn about other industries and kind of bounce around and get on my shell a little bit and just see what else is there. Uh, my dad actually does a lot of like software consulting work. And for the longest time, even in high school, I didn't really have a, a clear understanding of what that was. And <laughs> so many people, you know, pursuing consulting here at Northwestern and getting a chance to witness that, especially with all of my roommates, literally all my roommates, like recruiting uh, this, up, this past cycle for um, upcoming summer internships. It was really interesting to kind of get that shift coupled with the San Francisco trip about like what consulting and startup culture and like, that whole industry looks like, which is something that I definitely have an appreciation for now that I didn't have before, um, even though I, I don't plan to necessarily enter that uh, full time. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the kind of you were talking about, you know, seeing these different experiences and, you know, you being pretty set on the healthcare industry for a while, but also like loving to, you know, pick up some hard and soft skills and hear people's stories. I think the latter in terms of just like hearing people's stories has always been one of the things I come back to at the startup space that enthralls me because like think back to that trip and some of the panels we were on, 
Like how many people were just like, yeah, coming out of undergrad, I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do with my life, right? And right. that was a message I think for me, and I'm not saying like, oh, that should be everyone's mindset, right? Like I love that you mm -hmm. have this plan, you've been enacting it for a long time. I think it makes a ton of sense. But I think for me, just hearing those stories and uh, you know, you don't have to have it all figured out by the age of 21, right? Like we often put a ton of pressure on ourselves. You, like I often look at, you know, 19 year olds getting drafted at the NBA and being old instant millionaires. I'm like, damn, like I'm not, yeah. I'm like behind. Right. But like the reality is no, you know, like there's so many people that have no idea what they want to do by the time you're 21, 22, you know? And I think that was like a very valuable experience and seeing that and just kind of talking to different people and also seeing how many people in VC were like theater majors, you know, in undergrad, right? Or like comm, you know, you don't yeah. have to be CS, consultant, business, what have you. Like there's so many different backgrounds that lead to so many different areas and ventures that I've always found pretty fascinating. Kind of moving on to now, you're on this last quarter at Northwestern, you're also spending a lot of time work on ending COVID. And look, the reality is for a lot of us, you included, a good chunk of our life has changed, right? And yet you're out here, you're doing your thing. At what point did you decide, I'm gonna really pursue, I'm gonna spend my free time, I'm gonna pursue this venture ending COVID? Like what was the breaking point? Yeah, I think for me, I was just definitely finding ways, especially with the extended spring break that we had, trying to find ways to stay engaged, stay motivated, and find things to do, honestly, trying to reconnect with things that I haven't done in a while, like play guitar. I haven't seriously done that since high school. And, you know, rollerblading, I haven't done that since I was a little kid. And, you know, just trying to get back into some of these, like, childlike wonders um, that I definitely had and have lost over time um, has really given me a sense of urgency as using this moment more now than ever uh, to make something of it. And that can definitely be a privileged thing to say, you know, um, I remember reading from the article um, about your four months, you know, just like the past four months for you about like one of the most privileged things you can say right now is to be born. Mm -hmm. um, and that really resonated with me uh, just reading that. And before I even read that, um, kind of like internalize that, like with all this free time now, especially with classes being past fail, um, school doesn't have to be a burden. You know, I can use kind of the things that I've learned in school and learned outside of school, you know, through trips like the San Francisco trip and through my experiences in the startup space and then through running a nonprofit since high school. Um, how can I like leverage these in the best way possible that makes sense in this current moment? And actually, I did a hackathon for MIT, what was it, like April 1st weekend or something like that, um, basically at the end of March, beginning of April. And that was really inspiring. It was a COVID-themed hackathon, essentially aimed at addressing solutions at how we can use our current resources and intellect to essentially end COVID or at least, you know, flatten the curve. And one of the things that my team and I were working on at the time, and my team was made up of individuals from all across the country, which is awesome. I had teammates from uh, Berkeley, Stanford, and WashU here in St. Louis, and you know, myself being from Northwestern, it was really cool to just connect with a bunch of other people from different universities. And my team and I, what we worked on originally was an, I think it was an NLP parser. And what we wanted to do was essentially deploy it on social media to be able to combat fake news. Um, it would kind of <laughs> back up credential sources with um, either CDC or WHO or, you know, you know, essentially other credential news sources, you know, reinforce the idea that um, had to be cred uh, credible, you know. Mm. So if someone was saying something like, you know, I'm so glad that 
I don't know, the vaccine for COVID-19 is going to be deployed in two weeks. If you hear that from a friend or hear that on social media, like, you've been seeing all the things, I'm sure, with like WhatsApp chain messages just being forwarded oh, yeah. and email exchanges and stuff like that. And especially social media is one of the driving components of fake news because misinformation is unwillingly sent between friends and colleagues and different connections. And what we wanted to do was essentially anytime a buzzword or a keyword was um, initiated that had a relation to COVID. So if it was like, if you detected like maybe like COVID-19 and pandemic and vaccine all in like the same post or whatnot, it would essentially deploy an article that was using a machine like learning algorithm would deploy like a relevant article that had credentials, data um, and snippets of that. So maybe it would say like a vaccine for COVID-19 is um, in the works currently, but it is not now when, known when um, testing for it will be released or something like that. Essentially just like providing anything that anyone said that had relevant data terms for COVID-19 with credential uh, and credible news sources and information. So that was like really inspiring. And then following the weekend after that, I essentially did a Northwestern Social Innovation Challenge. It was led by TFA, um, which is Teach for America. And um, my team and I actually won first place at that, which was fantastic. And it was a $2,000 grand prize. And I got my $500 cut of it being one, one of the four teammates. And kind of being inspired from that previous weekend with the MIT hackathon, I just really wanted to give that money to a better use because I recognize the privileges that I have, kind of like safe position that my family has um, currently. And I recognize that other people don't have the same. And kind of the melding those two points, the winning the prize and having the financial means um, necessary to make kind of make that retroactive idea of you know, finding ways to end COVID-19 in reality was what really struck me. And I was like, hey, I can do something with this even further. So first I donated those $500. I bought 100 face shields and donated them to a local St. Louis area hospital. And that was fantastic, you know, getting the healthcare professionals the PPE that they need, but then also realizing that there's so much that can be done with this and there's so much more that can be done with this. So that's how ending COVID essentially was uh, started. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I will say one thing that really resonated with me in terms of uh, we're talking about the hackathon in terms of the fake news. One thing, and this seems so like innocent in retrospect, but I remember in a class, a journalism class in March, we were talking about how Trump, you know, was telling people, telling his base, telling the world how furthering a rumor that the Democrats started the coronavirus as a biological weapon, right? And what's crazy about fake news is it's become such a meme. The fake news in of itself has become such a meme. And it's such a colloquial term we use so much that was popularized by Trump, you know, back in 2015, 2016. But the reality is, like, a lot of times we don't understand how much it, like, how it spreads. And you were talking about, you know, group me chains and whatnot. What was fascinating to me about that example with the biological weapon rumor is that you know, okay, so Trump's base gets that from Trump speaking at a press conference or whatever, right? Or tweeting it. Sure. Trump got that from Rush Limbaugh because Rush Limbaugh was saying this stuff mm. as facts. And you know where Rush sure. Limbaugh got it? Rush Limbaugh got it from Facebook posts in a group of anti-vaxxers who started this rumor just because they wanted to. Wow. wow. So <laughs> that's literally how our chain of information is spreading. It goes from anti-vaxxers on Facebook to Rush Limbaugh mm. to the president of the United States to the entire yeah. world. And it's kind of nuts. Like, I don't know how many of us really stop and appreciate how we get our information. And one thing I look at too is, you know, at the start of like this 
whole virus, well, the whole, uh, our whole quarantine, you see all these images uh, of young people, you know, partying on spring break and being idiots. And it's like, yeah, I'll yeah. never condone that and whatnot. But what were young people saying? Oh, it's just the flu. I'm not going to be harmed. Oh, you know this. And they got that information from the media, right? And right. this isn't to blame the media because this is just, you know, the information that uh, we might have known at the time. But like, at the same time, I think people always have to come back to like, people's opinions about things are formed by what they hear and who they deem to be the experts. If you deem Donald Trump as an expert, because he holds the position of the White House, if he holds the position of the Oval Office, what he says is going to be fact. It does really, I think that was really fascinating in terms of um, creating the, the bot to like really check those sources about coronavirus and how sometimes like, not to, you know, demean by any means, any like physical uh, donations or production or, uh, you know, helping with stuff like PPE and whatnot. But like, sometimes even just the spread of information is the most critical to fighting any war, whether it be a pandemic or a military war, but a tangent in there and whatnot, because I, again, don't mean to undersell PPE, which is the next thing I want to ask about. So I feel like there's a lot of buzzwords that have been thrown around during this whole pandemic. You know, there's flatten the curve, there's social distancing. And one thing that gets said a lot is PPE. For, you know, listeners, how, what would you say, how would you describe PPE and why is it so important right now? Right, yeah, so PPE is uh, personal protective equipment. And, you know, that basically entails anything that medical professionals and essential workers honestly should be wearing for the most part. Uh, now, if you can think about it, um, yeah, it, it includes gloves, latex gloves, um, face masks, and now face shields, especially for people who are still in, you know, still in the workforce working right now. So face shields, head garments, uh, especially keeping hair close to the body, keeping that not free and not loose. And then I've typically been seeing now gowns too, like uh, quarantine gowns. Those have been worn. So all that PPE, I think, is really important. And that's essentially what it is. And what that does is it creates like a second skin. It's like a barrier and insulation against anything that can be communicated, um, especially airborne, which uh, the virus is. And with how contagious it is, if you look up the P naught value, I think that's what it's called. Oh no, sorry, R naught value. I don't know if you've heard that term, but it's essentially like mm. the rate of how infectious a disease is. I think COVID's is somewhere in like the twos or threes, which essentially, I think it's around three actually. And that essentially means like for every one person that gets COVID, they're expected to be able to infect three people. Mm -hmm. And things like PPE essentially, you know, provide that extra barrier to prevent the spread of that and, you know, ties into flattening the curve, just reducing essentially the number of cases at a hospital uh, that hospitals have to handle at one single time and, you know, extend that, even if it's the same number of cases, extend that over the, a longer period and not make sure that we overwhelm hospitals at one time. So things like PPE, especially face shields are just super important right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so as I kind of alluded to at the top of the podcast, what Ending COVID is focusing on is raising money for PPE, distributing it to hospitals and essential workers, as well as donating food, money, supplies to vulnerable communities, mostly in the St. Louis area. I was just curious from your perspective, you know, I'm sure you met me on that San Francisco trip. You were like, who the hell is this dude? Uh, <laughs> but no, uh, I'm just curious, you know, we decided to make this collaboration what was your impression of Unplugged and everything? What made you decide to go along with this? And why do you think it can be, uh, have a major impact? Yeah, so I think Unplugged, like I said, you know, fits so well into everything that's going on at the current moment. 
Um, I think now more than ever, we have a need for honest and authentic conversation, essentially like with fake news and how it transcends different levels. Uh, you know, it, it's just kind of like scary that you don't necessarily trust, like you don't can't always trust your media sources. And one thing that I feel like, you know, meeting you in San Francisco, I just had an, like almost like almost instantaneous, like feeling of trust for you and kind of the, everything that Unplugged does do. Um, it just does really feel authentic to me. And I think that's so important more now than ever to be able to trust your media. Um, and then also with that as well, I think that Unplugged just promotes conversations that need to be had. Um, I, I love like the other stuff that you do with like sports and hot takes and whatnot. But I think that at the end of the day, like Unplugged, some of the media that I've been consuming, at least from Unplugged, just really resonates with me just beyond um, things that are essentially topical in the media and things that matter to me more so yeah thank you i mean the reason i asked was i'm extremely egotistical so i just needed that to boost myself no. but um <laughs> yeah. we're working on this collaboration but we don't have to end the fight against covid just with t-shirts and face mask sales right so how mm -hmm. else can people help both your organization ending covid as well as in the fight to you know end covid because you talk about vulnerable communities a lot right who are you seeing who are getting hit the hardest right now that we're not hearing about? Yeah, definitely people who don't have as privileged access to media even. And, you know, like we talked about how there's definitely dangers in the media, but also the media can be helpful in terms of identifying local test centers, um, identifying changes in uh, demographic data about, you know, the spread of COVID and um, accessibility as well to like PPE. I know a lot of different shelters and stuff have been receiving PPE donations, but if you don't know about where these shelters are, or that they received an influx of PPE donations, for example, like how do you really access that to help yourself? Um, definitely also homeless populations and shelter populations have been hit the hardest too, because nationwide, um, you know, national donations and local donations are all down because people can't mm -hmm. necessarily give them in person. And then homeless shelters, you know, if you're out on the streets or if you're not in a housed environment, you're you know, you're not finding ways, you're, you don't have the ability to mitigate your exposure to COVID. Um, so people who are in these kind of situations are definitely being hit the hardest, you know, low-income communities as well, um, low-income communities, you know, where supplies are running out from overbuying and uh, grocery stores are limiting the number of hours some of them might be having. And, you know, a lot of different people are also out of work, you know, um, I'm just thinking about like the rising and rising unemployment um, claims that are being filed every day and that number. So all of these people, you know, are definitely being hit the hardest by COVID and um, any ways that we can be able to fight to end COVID, like whether it be like through kind of a concentrated effort of, you know, donations of PPE and uh, to healthcare workers and essential workers and these vulnerable populations, as well as providing with food and essential items. That's all important. And that's what essentially, you know, what I'm doing with ending COVID, but there's so many other ways to help, whether it be through that or other things kind of like, you know, combating fake news on social media or um, staying informed even is like a bare minimum um, from credential news sources, you know, making sure you're getting your right information, you're passing that along, and that you're taking the necessary precautions and social distancing and all of that. Like even those that might seem like, you know, bare minimal efforts are just so important to the overall mm -hmm. um, ways that we can combat COVID. And, um, you know, definitely reach out to me if you're interested in learning more about how you can help. And obviously through our collaboration with Unplugged, um, I think we'll be fantastic in 
even things that are seen as a bare minimum, again, I want to reiterate, it's just, are just so important to being able to fight COVID in your own regard. Yeah, absolutely. This is the first time in history where, you know, you can actually help by sitting around and watching TV, though. To your point about misinformation, you just got to make sure you're not watching TV featuring the president because again, fake news is not good. Um, but anyway, that kind of brings us to the end of this whole thing. Thanks so much for coming on, Thagis. You can follow him on Facebook to get more information about what he's doing and ending COVID at Thagis.shaker. That's T-E-J-A-S dot S-E-K-H-A-R. And check out endingcovid.org at, you guessed it, endingcovid.org. But (laughs) yeah, that's all I got. Thanks so much for coming on, Thages. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.